this morning, I'm really excited. We are starting a new sermon series about the book of Romans, going through verse by verse by the, uh, through the book of Romans, and we've titled it Grace Through Faith, the Foundation for Life. Now, this is the overarching theme of this book, and I want to just uh, take you through a few kind of bullet points of some facts about uh, this book to just kind of introduce it to you. Uh, to get it kind of fresh in your brains here. And then we're going to basically talk this morning about uh, uh, Dear Romans. That's basically what he's saying today, but it takes him 15 verses to say it, which is awesome because he gives us some really good uh, theological information, even in saying, Dear Romans, uh, I'm, this is Paul, I'm writing to you. So we're going to look at that this morning. Uh, but I want you to just uh, be excited about this book. Uh, I am terribly excited about it. And I think even just in the introduction here, hopefully some of these bullet points will excite you. Here's some facts about the book of Romans. It was written by Paul to the Roman church around 56 AD. Now this is probably a group of churches uh, possibly meeting in synagogues, or at least some of them we know met in homes, uh, because he mentions them in the book of Acts and other places. Okay, this was not just one local church that he was writing to. So he knew that this was going to be a, what they call a circular letter. He knew that this was a letter he was going to be sending, and it was going to be passed around the churches in Rome. It was written in Corinth while he was on his third missionary journey. Uh, this is almost kind of the middle of all of Paul's letters, uh, all of the 13 epistles that he wrote of the New Testament. Uh, this is basically in the middle. Uh, the church, this, these churches Paul had never visited. Okay, he had never visited a single one of these. In fact, we aren't even sure of the origin of these churches in Rome. Now, probably the most likely scenario is that some of those who were in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost uh, went back home to Rome and started churches, started meeting in their homes, uh, started worshiping the risen Savior. That's probably the most likely story, but there could be some other uh, things too. We just don't know. But Paul did not start these churches. And this is also the first letter in the New Testament because of its gospel-centered message. Uh, some people ask the question, uh, when, uh, you know, when people were putting together and, and, and putting the New Testament together in its current form, why were they not written, uh, or why were they not put in the New Testament in the order they were written? Now, you can get, we can actually get New Testaments written that way, that are actually in the, uh, the order that they were written. Uh, but this is the first, after the Gospels and after the book of Acts, uh, this is the first of Paul's epistles. And I, it was chosen to be first because of its incredible uh, uh, center on the Gospel. It's also uh, its length. Uh, Paul, has, like I said before, he wrote 13 epistles. They average about 1,300 words uh, for each letter that he wrote. Romans is about 7,100 verses or words. And so it's, it's quite a bit longer uh, than any of the other uh, letters that he wrote. Martin Luther said this. He said, Romans is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. It can never be read or pondered too much. And the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes so if you have studied the book of Romans before, if you've read through the book of Romans several times before, please don't fall asleep during this series. Please don't decide that I've, I've been there, done that, I don't need to do it again. Uh, even Martin Luther says, listen, this is a book you should read over and over and over and over and over and over until you have it memorized. There was a large uh, portion uh, of both Jews and Greeks in the churches at Rome. And so Paul's going to address both of them at times 
in this letter. So let's look at just the beginning of this uh, letter and see uh, kind of Paul's calling and his desire today. That's what I want us to focus on. He talks about both of these things. And, and so what I want to do is I want to read verses 1 through 15 straight through, and then we'll come back and we'll kind of piece it together and see what it says. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome." So let's talk first about Paul's calling. Let's talk about, uh, he talks about this in the very beginning as he, he, he says hello to them. And let's look, first look at the proof of Paul's calling. He gives us some proof of his calling. Back in Romans 1.1, he says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Now what Paul's saying here, he says, I am a servant of Christ Jesus. Now, there's about four words in the Greek language uh, for the word servant. This is the lowliest of the lowly. This is the servant who can never buy his own freedom. This is a servant who can never even be purchased by someone in order to free them. This is a person who is absolutely, completely, 100% owned by their master. And Paul says, I am a servant. Of Christ Jesus. I am the lowliest of the lowly servants of my master. I serve him and serve him alone. I have no other uh, 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 individuals or entities that I have any loyalty to other than Christ Jesus, and he and I am owned by him. How would we be different if we viewed ourselves this way? How would we think differently? How would we act differently? If we really viewed ourselves as a complete and total slave to a wonderful and loving and glorious master, I think it would change us. It would change us. Then he says he was called to be an apostle. This is not something that he achieved. This is not something he studied for. It's not something he earned or he worked for. It was a calling at the whim of the Savior. 
It's not something he wanted or desired, not even something he chose, but something that was bestowed on him. Now, I look at this and I think to myself, this is a good lesson for us. Many times people uh, uh, come and they say, I would like to do this in the church, or I would like to do this in the church, or I would like to do this in the church, or I would like to do this in the church. But the reality is, folks, we don't get to choose that ourselves. God calls. God draws us. God calls us to do things. And for most of us, it's probably something we wouldn't have ever chosen for ourselves. You know, I, I had no anticipation growing up uh, or really probably the first 40 years of my life of ever being a pastor. I was a music guy. The, the, the best I would ever hope for, the best I would ever think about would be some worship pastor leading worship in a church, but God had other plans. So let's uh, stop pursuing our own plans and be like Paul and just say, God, I'm, I'm just here for you. I'm a slave to you. I'm your servant. And allow him to call us where he wants us. Then he says he's set apart for the gospel of God. He's set apart for the good news of God to the Gentiles. Now, at the end of today's service, we're going to set apart some people to go to the Philippines uh, for us, representing us as part of our church to go on mission there. And Paul's saying, listen, I've been set apart to do this work. I've been uh, pulled away uh, in order to do this great work. And so he talks here about this proof of his calling. It's because God has called him. It's because God has drawn him. But it's because Paul first decided to be a servant. Then let's look at the person of Paul's calling. So he ends verse 1, set apart for the gospel of God. Let's pick it up at verse 2 and 4, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. The person of Paul's calling is obviously Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The person that called him was the one promised and prophesied from the Old Testament. This was significant to the Jewish believers in Rome. When Paul said, hey, uh, you guys know the Scriptures, you guys know the Old Testament, this Jesus whom I'm a slave of, this Jesus whom I'm a servant of, he's the fulfillment of all of those promises that we've studied and we've looked at our whole lives. He's the fulfillment. He's the answer to it. But he also, in this passage, he expressed both the humanity and the deity of Christ. He said to them he was descended from David. That expresses Christ's humanity. Jesus was 100% human. He experienced life the same way we do. He experienced temptation like we do. He experienced hunger like we do. He experienced all of the physical attributes of life like we do. And that's why he said he was descended from David. But he also said he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness. He's expressing Christ's, Christ's deity. He's saying, listen, uh, Jesus had the, 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 the spirit of holiness in him from the beginning. Now, he doesn't expressly say that he preexisted, but he's certainly implying it here. Jesus was 100% God. Jesus wasn't 50-50, because when we think he's 50-50, folks, uh, then that presents all kinds of, of theological problems. Well, if, if Jesus was only 50% human, he didn't really experience temptation like we do. He doesn't experience life like we do. He was, he was only 50% like we are. He wasn't 50-50, he was 100-100. He was 100% human, and he was 100% God. And I know for you mathematicians, uh, that's hard for you to accept. 
But the reality is, he was both. And then he says, and the resurrection proved he was the Savior of the world. You see, the resurrection, as we talk about all the time, it changes everything, folks. It changed everything. And Paul's writing to them and saying, listen, uh, uh, when it comes to uh, Jesus fulfilling the, the promises and the prophecies of the Old Testament, when it comes to him being who he is and where he came from, and how he, the reality is, folks, if he didn't raise from the dead, he's a fake and a fraud and a phony. But if he did, he's exactly who the Scripture tells us he is. And he did. So Paul's reminding them that he, he beat death. He beat death. Listen, anybody who can beat death deserves to be heard. And he's reminding them that Jesus, the Savior, beat death. Then he talks about the purpose of his calling. In verses 5 and 6, he says this, Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Here we see the purpose of Paul's calling is to bring about the obedience of faith to the honor and glory of Christ. He's saying, listen, uh, part of my, my purpose of my calling is to not just lead people to Jesus, but to teach the world how to be obedient to the faith, how to see them live out their Christianity. We're going to see in Romans this incredible emphasis on the gospel. But not just the gospel that saves us, the gospel that saves us and transforms us. And so Paul's saying to him right here, hey, listen, my calling is not just about uh, to bring people to Jesus. In fact, if that was his full calling, why would he be writing to a bunch of people that are already Christians? He ought to be writing to the lost people in Rome, right? But that's not his full calling. See, the calling is to teach people to be obedient to the faith. It's to disciple people. We've got to make sure that we don't ever forget the Great Commission is not to go and make converts. It is to go and make disciples, and it's a very different thing. He said it's a worldwide ministry. It's to all the nations. And then he says, including you, including you people in Rome who are called to belong and to be a part of this. His calling is to help people fulfill their calling to faith by being obedient to their faith. His purpose in life, his purpose as an apostle, his purpose as a Christian is to lead and help others to be who God created them to be by giving their lives to Christ and to become his followers and disciples. Now, who's he writing to? Who's he writing to? Uh, he, he's writing to the Romans, of course. Uh, of course, I don't, I don't know if he had on the outside of the envelope, uh, you know, Romans. Uh, but we see here in verse 7, it was clear who he's writing to. He said, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I just wanted to make a couple of mentions, a couple of things about this verse in passing. He does say, all those who are called by God and saints... Uh, let's remember that the Bible clearly says that uh, the word saint is uh, referring to all believers. And here he's specifically talking to those in Rome's, Rome. And he's saying, listen, I want to offer grace and peace from God, which really, if you think about it, includes every blessing and gift from God. He, he's, he's really saying, listen, everything God, God's got, I just want to bless you with it. 
anything uh, that we have that's a blessing in life, folks, is because of God's grace. The favor he feels towards us that we did nothing to earn. And it brings about peace in our lives. It brings about peace with God. It brings about peace with ourselves and our own conscience. It brings about peace with others. It brings about peace in our relationships, in ourselves, and with God. I mean, it just brings about everything. So you see, folks, that with grace and peace, almost every blessing from God is somehow wrapped up in those two things. So let's switch from Paul's calling to what it is he's wanting from the Romans. Because he's writing to them saying, hey, I want to write to you and I want to, I want to share some things with you. So let's talk about Paul's desire with the Romans. His first one is for relationship with them. For relationship. In Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, it says this. It says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succumb in coming to you. We see here uh, that the Romans uh, had a great reputation. He says, your faith is proclaimed all around the world. They've built this great reputation everywhere. Paul's never seen them. He's never met them. He's never been there. But he says, listen, you guys are known. You guys are known as a great church, as a great group of churches. Now, we should strive for a great reputation as a church. I think that's important. But not for the sake of a reputation. See, we shouldn't. We shouldn't strive to have a great reputation in the community or, or with other believers or with other churches simply because we want to have a great reputation and be talked about or seen. We should want a great reputation because we are people worthy of a great reputation. See, the goal is to be great people, great Christians, a great uh, a force, a great representation of Christ to the world. That should be our focus. But folks, if we do that well, we're going to have a great reputation. We're going to have a great reputation. And so we should strive, in a sense, to be like those in Rome. Paul says he continually prays for the church at Rome, and especially, especially that we get an opportunity to come to them. He's, he's, he's begging to come. He's aching to come. In fact, he said, listen, I've tried to come several times, and something's always come up. You ever had one of those things? You, know, you plan to go to somebody's house, you plan to go visit some relatives or do something or take the kids somewhere, and, and you get it all said, and then, and then something comes up, you're going to leave Friday night, and something comes up on Friday afternoon, and, and the kids are sick, you can't go, you got to call it off. So then you reschedule it a couple of months later, you get all ready to go, and car breaks down on Friday, you can't go. Then you reschedule it again. Paul's saying, listen, this is, this is what it's been like for you. I, I've been trying and trying to get to you, and I just, something always comes up. I can't get to you, but I'm trying. He's telling him he wants to be with him. He wants to spend time with him. Now, what does the desire to spend time with him mean? Why, why does he want to do that? Because he wants a relationship with him. He wants to build a relationship with him. He wants to be with him. He wants to rub shoulders with him. He wants to connect the things that he hears 
with the people that he can go there and see. His desire is to have a true relationship with the church at Rome. You know, it's almost like, uh, you know, I, I, I'm always baffled by uh, people that want to get autographs from, you know, celebrities and singers and all that kind of thing. They'll stand in line for hours to get somebody's autograph. They want to see them so bad. They want to connect with them so bad. Uh, they want to meet with them and have a few words with them for, you know, 30 seconds so bad. Paul's kind of saying, listen, you guys are a little bit famous. I want to come and hang out with you. You guys have got such a great reputation that I want to come and hang out with you. I want to get to know you. I want to meet you. And then he mentions two specific things that he wants to do with them or for them. The first is to meet them for discipleship. Look in verses 11 and 12. Paul says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That, that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, the, the spirit in Paul to just be a giver, to just be a giver, he says, listen, I want to come and I, wanna, I just want to invest in you. I want to I impart some spiritual gift in you that will bless you and encourage you. And then he kind of comes clean a little bit, you know. And he goes, I mean, by the way, you guys are going to be a blessing to me too. You know, we're going we're gonna to bless each other. We're going to encourage each other. Folks, this is what happens. When you get involved in a community group, you know why it's important? Because you get around other Christians and you build a relationship with them and you start to encourage one another. When you need it, they're there to encourage you. When they need it, you're there to encourage them. It's not like in a community group or a core group that we have here at Fellowship of Grace to do you know, small group discipleship, our core groups and our community groups that meet every other week, you know, 10, 10, 12, 14 adults. These are not just for us to hang out. These are not just for us to build relationships with people, but they're for us to encourage one another. They're for us to spurn each other on, to cheer each other on, to do good works. They're so that we can share our burdens, share our difficulties, and pray for one another, help each other, disciple each other. You know, the leaders of these groups aren't the only people that invest in them. Now, they might be the people that keep it going and keep it on track and facilitate the discussion. But none of our groups, none of our groups, even if they're led by Pastor John or Pastor Derek or myself, those groups should not be lecture-type things like Sunday morning is. You know, you come here, this is a one-way conversation. I get a half an hour to talk to you, and frankly, you don't get to say much back, okay? Uh, I don't know if that's encouraging to you or not. You keep coming, so apparently it is. I'm glad. But listen, community groups and core groups don't work that way. It's not for one person to lecture everybody. It's for us to get around the, the table and, and encourage one another. It's for me to, to help you and for you to help me. It's for you to pray for me as I have challenges as much as it is for me to pray for you. And so Paul's saying, listen, I want to come to you and I want to invest in you, but I want us to invest in each other. I want to, I want to really disciple you. Even as an apostle, he realizes and validates the idea of mutual ministry one to another. And that's why we constantly say around here, uh, you know, we are not the ministers. The paid professionals are not the ministers here. We are the prompters. We are the educators. We are the equippers. You are the ministers. 
You are to go to your community group and minister to others. You are to go to your community group and be ministered to by others. We're just here to facilitate it and organize it and, and, and teach the leaders how to keep the thing going and, and, that's, and, and let you guys go and do your thing. <coughs> and Paul's saying, I'm going to do that with you, the churches in Rome. The last thing that Paul mentions, besides his desire to have a relationship with them and to have discipleship with them, and that, of course, is for evangelism. In verses 13 through 15, Paul says this, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. In order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. He's saying, listen, I, I don't, I'm not going to... You know, I'm not going to con you here. I'm coming not just to invest in you, not just to uh, disciple you, not just to be a disciple myself and be invested in myself, but I'm coming for a harvest. I'm coming to preach the gospel to everybody who will listen. Because his goal is to always reach new people for Christ. Not to just reach them, but then to disciple them and help them fulfill their calling in the faith. He was anxious to preach in Rome because of its influence as a, as a city. There was a saying back then that was said basically all, ro- all roads lead to Rome. I mean, it was really the center of culture and humanity in a sense. He wanted to go there and preach because of its influence and these strong local churches. You see, he knew that new believers would be discipled. He knew that they could get involved in these great churches and shown how to grow and fulfill their calling as Christians. Uh, he wasn't going to go there and lead a bunch of people to Christ and then you know, have to maybe be there personally for two or three years to disciple them. He could lead them to Christ and turn them over to these good Bible-believing churches. Well, they weren't Bible-believing yet. They were gospel-believing. There was no Bible yet, but it was coming. Okay, so Paul has set the stage for what he is about to teach and confirm with the churches in Rome. Today, all we've seen is kind of the introduction. He's saying, listen, I want you to know I'm writing to you, and there's proof for my calling. Uh, there's, there's, there's the person of my calling, the, the purpose of my calling. I want you to know why I'm doing what I'm doing. And the main reason is because I'm just a slave of the Savior. I'm just a slave of the risen Christ. And I'm, I've sold out to him. My life is his. And, and if he'll let me, I want to come to Rome, and I want to invest in you. And I have a desire for a strong relationship with you to both disciple those who are already believers and lead more people to Christ. Let me ask you this. Do we have the desire to invest in others through relationship, discipleship, and evangelism like we should? Do we build relationships with people for the sole purpose of honoring and glorifying God by helping them to follow in the faith. You know, one of the arguments that I hear sometimes that really kind of pushes me over the edge a little bit uh, is people say, well, I, I, I really don't want to build a relationship with somebody just to share the gospel with them. That seems a little, you know, seems a little dishonest. What? So, so you want to build a relationship with them because you just think you're that great a person everybody should know you? 
I, I mean, I'm, help, tell me, help me understand a better motive for building a relationship with somebody. Help me think of a better, uh, a more loving, a more caring, a more self-sacrificing motive than to build a relationship with somebody for the sole purpose of investing Christ in their lives, of loving them, teaching them how to give their life to Christ if they haven't, and if they have, teaching them to follow him better. There's no greater investment. There's no greater reason for building relationships with people. So folks, we should all be, be consciously and intentionally building relationships with people to invest in them. Paul's saying, that's what I want to come do. And I would suggest to you that this desire came more from being a slave to Jesus Christ than it was Paul's call to be an apostle. I don't think we can look at this passage and be honest about the passage and say, oh, well, Paul's only talking about the fact that he has a burden to do this because he's an apostle. No, that's not what the burden comes from. It doesn't come from specifically just his, his calling as an apostle. It's, call, it's coming from his calling as a follower of Jesus. It's coming from his uh, belief, his understanding his acknowledgement, his, his embrace, embracing of the idea that he is a slave to Jesus Christ, owned by him, controlled by him, believing that God's plan for him was the best one. As we continue to look through the book of Romans, folks, I, I just want you to know, I don't think uh, more people have come to Christ by any other book than this book. In this letter. Uh, if we talk to people and say, what was the verse you heard that opened your eyes to the gospel? About nine out of ten would probably say some verse in Romans. This is a book that's just chocked full of good stuff about the gospel. And I know today, uh, you know, uh, maybe it's just Paul saying, hi, Romans, here's, I'm coming because I like you guys and I want to meet you and I want to, maybe you feel that way. Listen, this is going to get this is going to get deep, and it's going to get sweet, and it's going to get rich. This book is phenomenal. I hope that you will come back and that you will see uh, really what God wants to teach us through this book. Paul's just saying hi today, and look at how much stuff there is. I mean, that, hi, this is Paul. I, look, look at all that, you know. And so just think about how good it's going to get, all right? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word we thank you for what it teaches us. Father, we are so thankful for this a letter to the Romans that has been saved by you, that has been uh, uh, protected and given to us uh, 2,000 years after it was written. God, we pray that you would help us as we uh, uh, just really open this book and open our hearts to it that you would transform us, that you would help us to see how critical the gospel is, that you would uh, transform our lives by the gospel, and not just uh, uh, for those who maybe haven't yet given their lives to you, but for those of us who have. Help us to just uh, internalize the gospel in a deeper way, to let it permeate every area of our lives, every thought, every behavior, every nuance. Amen.